morning, my friends, and welcome to yet another astounding installment from very high above all the puerile and pedantic forms of Wyoming mainstream media. This is Cowboy State Politics. I, of course, am your illustrious host, David Iverson, firmly ensconced behind the silver Cowboy State Politics microphone and broadcasting to you from the Cowboy State Politics Northern Command Studio in Sheridan, Wyoming. Good morning, my friends, and welcome to the program. Happy Wednesday. I've got a great show for you this morning. Majority Leader Chip Nyman is going to join us in a little bit to talk about a whole bunch of different things. What happened in the last legislative session, committees that he's working on, and the abortion lawsuit that he and Representative Rachel Rodriguez-Williams have appealed to the Wyoming Supreme Court to see if they can intervene in it and provide some legislative perspective behind House Bill 152 or the Life is a Human Right Act. So we'll do all of that in a little bit. This morning's broadcast is brought to you in part by the Buffalo Wool Company. Yeah, I know, it's super hot outside in the 90s. But it's a common misconception that you only wear wool in the winter. You can wear it in the summer, too. And I'm telling you, my friends, some socks from the Buffalo Wool Company will keep your feet cool and dry even on the hottest of Wyoming summer days. Quite frankly, you've never had a pair of socks like these. To get you a pair, go to their website, thebuffalowoolco.com. We begin this morning with the Pravda on the Plat. In an article written by Maya Shimizu Harris entitled Wyoming GOP Censures Representative Cyrus Western, my only response to this is, it really took you guys that long? And I quote, The Wyoming Republican Party censured House Majority Whip Cyrus Western on Saturday over election complaints involving the Bighorn Republican, according to a member of the state central committee who was present for the vote. The resolution stating that Cyrus has, quote, failed to uphold the high moral standards entrusted to him by the citizens of the county of Sheridan and of the entire state of Wyoming, end quote, demands the representative's immediate and voluntary resignation from his position as majority whip in the Wyoming House of Representatives. As the House majority whip, Western assists the the majority floor leader, makes sure party members are present for votes on the floor and counts votes and communicates the majority position. Of course, Western didn't immediately answer the Star Tribune when asked if he would consider the resolution's demand to resign from the majority whip post, nor did he comment further on the election complaints that led to the censure. He previously told the Star Tribune that his legal counsel had advised him not to discuss the election complaints, but that there's, uh, quote, more to the story than what's been published, end quote. This is more drivel coming from our old pal Cyrus. If you'll remember correctly, it was Cowboy State Politics who first broke the story that Cyrus Western and Johnson County Commission Chairman Bill Novotny were being investigated for election law violations. It's a long story, but currently, the election complaint that was filed with the Secretary of State's office has been forwarded to the Wyoming Attorney General for investigation and or possible prosecution. But that was back in March, and it's been sitting on Bridget Hill's desk ever since. The case of Cyrus Western and Johnson County Commission Chairman Bill Novotny 
is yet another example that if you're politically connected in the state of Wyoming, that it's almost a hands-off approach. You can do whatever you want politically, and nobody is going to say anything about it. And if they do, somebody gets out a big giant broom and sweeps whatever you've done underneath the carpet. The list of wrongs that have been committed by Wyoming redcoat politicians is long and distinguished. There's the absolute and 100% provable case of voter fraud committed by Representative Dan Zwanitzer. That one was summarily dismissed by a simple vote of the Wyoming House of Representatives. Yeah, they even let Zwanitzer himself vote as to whether or not he should be investigated. Fascinating, huh? And then there was Representative Carly Provenza posting threatening messages on social media. Messages that if they were posted by anybody else would get you investigated by law enforcement. According to Speaker of the House Albert Somers, nothing to see here, can't do anything about it. By now, the political environment that all of us inhabit is absolutely 100% completely lawless. If you're politically connected, doesn't really matter what you do. There'll be a way that you can get out of it. And the rest of us, had we committed the very same things, would be prosecuted faster than we can say the phrase, Cyrus Western is a redcoat. If you want more information on what our pal Cyrus did, I've published a number of different episodes on it. One that comes to mind is entitled, What Cyrus and Custer Have in Common. And then there's this from the cowpies Trotsky Wolfson in an article entitled Ethorn Says RNC Shouldn't Give Money to Gay Rodeos from August 12th. Way down at the bottom, Trotsky writes, and I quote, Sheridan resident Carla Kloptenstein said Western lied when he took his oath of office in January and said he wasn't under investigation for any matter. And here comes the legal opinion by renowned jurist Leo Wolfson, And I quote, this is a misinterpretation of the oath of office, which only says the person taking the oath has, quote, not knowingly violated any law related to my election or appointment, end quote. Western has never admitted to the allegations and none of the people targeted in the mailer were running against him, end quote. So as long as you don't admit to what you've done, the charges don't matter. Brilliant. His curriculum vitae must contain a reference to a B.A. in bullcrap. Western was running for election at the time, and he put out a mailer attacking the very people that didn't want to endorse him. And then he and his pal Bill Novotny tried to cover it up. Seems like that's kind of related to his election to me. But what do I know? I'm just the guy that's been on Cyrus Western like quills on a porcupine for the last year. Before we move on with the program, let's get another word from one of our sponsors. The current real estate market is sometimes a bit difficult to navigate. You need a real estate agent that you can trust. Rebecca Bextel at Compass Real Estate is that agent. Last year, she sold about $25 million worth of real estate. And get this, she's been known to talk buyers out of purchasing a property because it wasn't right for them. If you want a real estate agent that's going to look out for your best interests, whether you're buying or selling, call Rebecca Bextel at Compass Real Estate. Her phone number is 307-699-3519. That's Rebecca Bextel at Compass Real Estate. Earlier this week, I caught up with Wyoming Majority Floor Leader Chip Nyman. We hadn't talked to him for quite a while, and so there was a number of things that I wanted to get his thoughts on. Here's our discussion. Joining me this morning is Majority Floor Leader Chip Nyman. 
Chip, welcome back to the program. It's very nice to be here with you, David. Thank you very much for the opportunity. It's been a long time. How you been doing? Been doing good. Been pretty hectic around home. Our uh, our situation was putting up hay, as with everybody else in this area, has, has been a little bit challenging, but... Uh, Love the moisture. The moisture's been fantastic, and we are we are still getting some hay put up. Not always the best, but we're getting her put up. So, so you've got good. two cuttings in? or Two cuttings. Uh, we're working on second, and we've got actually some third that is starting to come on now, and hopefully we'll have some, some warm weather that'll help us to get that put up right. So, yeah, it's been a wonderful summer, but very— Lots of water. In fact, I, I've told lots of people that it— the next person that tells me, yeah, but we need the, moist, the moisture, I just want to throat punch them. Oh, I'm, don't don't punch them. Moisture in Wyoming, don't ever, oh. don't ever, oh, don't, it's okay, it's you okay. You need to see my this cabin, can go Chip. away. <laughs> it's a swamp. It, it can dry out. It will dry out eventually. This is Wyoming. This, this doesn't always stay like this, so be thankful when you have it. Well, Chip, yes, there's sir. a couple of things I wanted to discuss with you. Um, the first one that's been in the news is apparently you and Representative Rodriguez-Williams are appealing to the... Wyoming Supreme Court to intervene in the abortion lawsuit. Yes. Could you just talk to me about that and tell us what's going on? Well, well, a little bit about that is we, we appealed and tried to intervene, and uh, Judge Owens decided that it was not going to be allowable, and so she did rule that we would not be able to intervene, and so that uh, we are going to intervene. We are basically appealing to the state Supreme Court now uh, to allow intervention uh, for us to be able to give information in this case to support the legislation and to uh, to give our effort to try to help support the Attorney General and the state of Wyoming to support this law with, that we passed as legislators there uh, a year ago. Well, no, I, I thought I read a couple articles where Judge Owens said that no, you're not going to be able to intervene. And then one of her subsequent rulings, she said, well, we need more information as to why this lawsuit is necessary. Ironic, isn't it? Yeah. No, and so that's and that's kind of what we've always maintained from the very beginning is we don't want to try to go against what the Attorney General is doing. We want to support the Attorney General in what he's doing, and uh, we appreciate the work that he's done, but uh, we do believe that we have some information uh, through uh, professional witnesses, uh, OBGYNs, and other information to support the definitions that are in there now that, that we improved to be able to bring more clarity, uh, we believed, to the legislation versus just the trigger bill. Uh, 152 was able to answer a lot of the questions that were being asked of the trigger bill. And so that was the effort here is to define when life begins, to uh, to define a lot of the different pregnancies, like for an egg topic pregnancy, a molar pregnancy, these different things that are they're not pregnancies, <clears throat> but uh, they are uh, DNC. You know, that was considered, well, maybe you would stop uh, women from being able to have a DNC. No, that's not. That's defined in there. That is not a, that's not an abortion. That is a health procedure to save the life of the woman. So um, there's just different things that we did in 152 to try to clean up, to clarify, to make it easier. But it's, to me, in this, David, it has been kind of ironic that one of the issues that they're now, uh, again, using to cudgel us with or cudgel however that word is to cudgel to cudgel cudgel us is the fact that we allowed exemptions for rape and incest so that there immediately begins the the discriminatory language is that well you know how is a child conceived in rape or incest any less you know human or deserving of uh, not deserving of life than that one that was just out of inconvenience or whatever else and so it's just interesting to watch the dynamics of they'll use whatever you know, direction they need to try to promote their agenda. But ultimately, 
We are working desperately to uh, to bring information and provide that opportunity and help support our attorney general in that. Um, I have to give uh, credit to uh, my colleague, uh, Rachel, and also to our attorneys, uh, Tim Garrison and Fred Harrison, for the wonderful job they've been doing in Alliance Defending Freedom and everybody that is in this and uh, Wyoming Right to Life and all those folks that are that are working so diligently to try to continue to support and protect this legislation that is so so very critical to. Was there a lot of a little venue shopping going on with uh, filing it in Teton County? I would think so. I mean, that just to me that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you know, you've got to uh, you kind of got to find some some place that is going to be more willing to, to you know to push back. And I think Teton County is was probably the logical choice based on the fact that you've got a an active abortionist there that's working in a clinic. And uh, so it's just, yeah, then I don't know how else to say it. Yeah, yeah, you want to find a place that's going to be uh, willing to uh, to work with you on that kind of stuff. So One of the things that's been in the news a lot by, and it's been several different legislators, is they're trying to blame the, the Freedom Caucus for the failure of the legislature to do anything really about property taxes. Well, you're the majority floor leader. You're the guy that decides, you know, where bills go in the order. So I've got a couple of questions here, but first... You mean it's not all my fault? No, it's not, it's not all your <laughs> oh, fault. Oh, okay, I see. Uh, but I've got, I've got a couple of questions. Okay. And the first one is, Representative Clark Stith is saying that it's the Freedom Caucus's fault because there was one bill pertaining to property taxes that didn't get heard. And I just wanted you to explain, give us, give us the timeline as to what happened those last few days of the legislature and why those bills died. Well, and I hope I can explain that <clears throat> clearly. The uh, the one bill I'm I'm a, I'm a guessing I'm assuming that he is talking about would be the bill that was brought by Bo Biteman. Uh, that was a Senate file, so that would have been the last the last crossover time. That was been the last session when we would have had bills actually that would have run out of time. Um, that was a bill that was I think uh, Senate file 136. Was I believe its number, and uh, the issue that with it was is that it came through and out of appropriations that it was sent to because of the fact that it that it had a um, a financial attachment to it, you know, a, 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 an issue of, of it's going to affect financing. So it was sent to appropriations, and it left the appropriations committee with a do not pass recommendation. Okay, hold on. So what does that mean? Explain the difference. Well, there's a, there's three different determinations. There's a do pass recommendation. Um, a do not pass recommendation, and then a uh, let me think here. How's that go? There's three. I had it. It was on. It was on the front of my mind there. Now just do pass fail. Do pass fail. But a do not pass recommendation automatically requires that that bill go to the bottom of the list. All other bills have to be heard before any bills that have a do not pass recommendation can be heard by the body. So um, there were there were four other bills that. Besides the, there were three other bills. Excuse me. Besides 136, um, the other two, uh, two of the ESG bills, were there, and uh, along with this uh, 136, you know, was the tax bill, and so those all got do not pass recommendations, and that automatically there is no choice on the part of the majority floor leader. I I have to put the bill at the bottom of the list, and we have to grind through every other do pass recommendation bill that has been placed on the list, the general file list. Uh, before we can get to those bills, but there was some there was some legislation there that I had multiple legislators that came to me, not just Freedom Caucus legislators that came to me and 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 multitudes, and were very hesitant, very concerned about that. We're concerned about the pricing. There was a ten million dollar bill 
in regards to some highway funding that they determined that there was no determination on where it was automatically going to go. That had been changed in there, evidently. And so just a lot of a lot of other problems went with it. And the issue was, is if that bill would have been uh, come out of the appropriations with a due pass recommendation, that bill would have seen the floor. I would have made sure that that bill saw the floor, along with those ESG bills and, and others there that were that were given that do not recommendation. Okay, hold on just a second. There's a couple of things we need to talk about, and then we'll get back to the interview with Majority Leader Nyman. Everything requires context. That's the one thing that the Redcoats never provide you. There have been numerous op-eds written blaming the Freedom Caucus for stopping debate during the last day that Committee of the Whole legislation could be heard on the floor of the House. That those evil conservatives killed valuable legislation that really would have helped Wyoming citizens. I'm talking about the likes of drag show Clark Stith, Albert Somers, Steve Harshman, and my own representative, Poisonberry Crago. These redcoats count on you not having the time to do the research necessary to find the truth. What they don't count on is yours truly, me. The truth is, there are very good reasons why all of those bills were killed on the last day that they could be heard. A couple of them Chip mentions. Let's start with the crosswalk thing. Why wouldn't we want to provide $10 million to keep kids safe as they're crossing the street to go to school? I can hear it right now. The Redcoats are saying, you must hate little children. That's why you voted against this bill. I'm telling you, these people absolutely have no shame. So much so that they wrote an op-ed about it. To the cow pie, in an article entitled Landon Brown, Jared Olson, Wyoming solutions mean a brighter future for Wyoming children. By the way, it's been 938 days since our pal Gomez Landon Brown agreed to an interview on cowboy state politics and then didn't show up. How brave of him. Anyhow, this one was written on March 30th, 2023. This one's a little long, but it's important that you hear it so you understand exactly what all of these people are trying to do. Um, lie. And I quote, Unfortunately, this disconnect continued throughout the session, resulting in the failure to pass key pro-child, pro-family bills. Three committee-sponsored bills, Senate File 19, Highway Safety Child Restraints, Senate File 35, School Crosswalks and Pedestrian Crossings Appropriation, Senate File 49, Safe School and Climate Act Amendments, and the fourth bill, the highly watched Senate File 144. Chloe's Law, which sought to prohibit doctors from offering gender-affirming surgery to anyone under the age of 18, were not heard by the required deadline. Despite the Speaker of the House making it clear to the body that he was prepared to stay until midnight to hear all of these bills, a motion was made by the Majority Floor Leader to cease debate and end Committee of the Whole. The 25 Freedom Caucus voting bloc joined House Democrats to form a majority alliance that ended Committee of the Whole, thus ending the debate on these pro-child bills. When the majority floor leader and member of the Freedom Caucus was asked by the Cowboy State Daily why he stopped debating bills before Chloe's Law could be heard, he said another bill that died alongside Chloe's Law, Senate File 35, had a $10 million price tag and was the main reason he called for the end. Senate File 35 was a transportation committee bill that was drafted to help build crosswalks and save children's lives. End quote. Barf. I wonder if all these people get up every morning and try to find new and inventive ways that they can mislead their constituents. 
Let's start with the crosswalk bill. To figure this one out, you have to go back to the February 15th House Judiciary Committee meeting. The YDOT director himself, Luke Reiner, basically said that they don't need $10 million because they already get $4 million from the feds. And the Wyoming Department of Transportation doesn't own the vast majority of crosswalks in Wyoming. So Gomez's precious crosswalk bill really wouldn't have done anything anyway, except spend $10 million. Here's former YDOT director Luke Reiner saying that they already get $4 million from the feds and they don't own a lot of the crosswalks. Here he is in his own words. We uh, in YDOT, we do maintain 915 crosswalks across the state, but that is most crosswalks, bless you, um, do not belong to us. Uh, they actually belong to municipalities and to counties, right? Now, now we're certainly, you know, the, the State Department of Transportation, but we don't own most of the crosswalks and the traffic signals. If we kicked you some money, how would you administer it? And, and really what I tell you is, is that uh, today, uh, certainly alternative transportation programs is a priority of this current uh, federal administration. And so uh, we get about $4 million a year, which actually is a doubling of what it was from the prior administrations to deal with items like um, uh, bike routes or walkways or crosswalks or, or, or really non-road um, uh, type structures that support alternate you know, uh, forms of transportation. And so what we, when we were asked during the interim, hey, how would you administer this? Our recommendation uh, to, to the committee was, hey, we would uh, take, if, if you so choose to, to do this, we would take the, the money that you, you push our way, we would incorporate it into the Transportation Alternatives Program, administer it through that program as it stands now. Uh-huh. Busted. And what about Senate File 144, Chloe's Law? You know, that thing would have been great. It really would have prevented childhood mutilations. Except, of course, that after the Appropriations Committee in the House got a hold of it, there wasn't any enforcement mechanism in it. So it wouldn't have done anything. In other words, House Appropriations butchered it. Pun intended. A couple of the bills that Jared and his pal Gomez don't bring up are Senator Bo Biteman's two ESG bills, which were also butchered by House Appropriations. Here's what Senator Biteman had to say after Appropriations was done carving up his bill. His response is, uh, well, priceless. Mr. Chairman, members of the committee, I have never seen this happen before. To say I'm disappointed is an understatement. Um, to treat a sitting fellow legislator like this in a public committee, which is actually a public execution, not a public committee, but uh, nonetheless, to spring a substitute bill on me in committee without me even knowing about it, seeing it, I, I just say shame on you. Just vote it up or vote it down. But to do this after hearing all the testimony and to, to pull this on a, on a fellow legislator, is, it's, it's not okay. That's not how we do business around here. I would certainly never do that to any one of you. Mr. And so that's all I have to say. I, I don't support this. Um, and if this were to pass, I'd ask that my name be taken off as a prime sponsor. 
And then there's the property tax bill that died along with all of the others. The one that Clark Stith mentioned in his July 21st op-ed. You know, the one where he called yours truly an amateur. That one had an $84 million price tag on it. So while the bill really would lower your property taxes for three or four years, they'd get that money back on the back end in other taxes. $84 million worth. And the icing on the cake was Medicaid expansion. That one was killed along with all of the others. So there were very good reasons why House Majority Floor Leader Chip Nyman called for an end of debate. Don't listen to a single thing those redcoats are saying about it. We'll finish up with Representative Majority Floor Leader Chip Nyman in just a second. But first... An absolutely obscene profit timeout. Cowboy State Politics is brought to you by Morton Buildings. If you're in the market for an outbuilding or a garage or a barn or a roping arena or even a giant warehouse for your business, the two guys you should talk to are Nick and Jesse at Morton Buildings. They're the experts in metal building construction. They've been doing it longer than anybody else, and they definitely do a much better job than anybody else. You'll receive a 50-year warranty on the foundation, which is something you're not going to get from any of their competitors. So it doesn't really matter what type of building you've been thinking about. Give Nick and Jesse a call. Their phone number is 307-674-2532, and they'll handle all the details. Again, their phone number is 307-674-2532, or you can check them out on their website at mortonbuildings.com. It's Wednesday, and you know what that means, don't you? Gun of the Week time from Gunrunner Auctions. The Gun of the Week is lot number 140. It's a Browning Satori Field 20-gauge over-and-under shotgun. It's got 26-inch barrels that have bright and shiny bores on them. The bluing on the barrels is 98%, and there's some light receiver and grip strap blue wear. The stock is made of European walnut, and it's nicely figured with some hunting marks and a comb pad with Velcro fasteners. There's some glue residue on the stock, but it's nothing to be concerned about. This is a nice upland shotgun or a clay buster. It's a beautiful shotgun, and it can be yours. It's lot number 140 at thegunrunner.com. New episodes of the program are published every Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday morning. And don't forget about the live episode, which begins every Thursday at 10 a.m. You can find the link at CowboyStatePolitics.com or on the Cowboy State Politics Facebook page. You can listen to the podcast on any of your favorite podcasting apps, iHeartRadio, iTunes, TuneIn, really any of them will work. But the easiest way is just to go to the website, CowboyStatePolitics.com. There, you can find all of the shows, as well as any of the articles that I might bring up during the course of a program. If your name is Sleepy Joe Biden, and you're dumber than a box of rocks, well, you can go to CowboyStatePolitics.com, pull up an article, and educate yourself. Just like you should have been doing on all of those pudding breaks. And now, back to our interview with Majority Leader Chip Nyman.
How many bills have come out of appropriations with a with a do pass fail in the last I don't know five or six years? You mean a do not pass? Yeah, do yeah, not. No, pass. Yeah, a do not pass recommendation. Um, I did a little research there before. Uh, we got out of the session there and had LSO go back through, and they checked back for the past 20 years. And in the past 20 years, uh, from what they could see and what they could determine, what they, records that were there, there have only been five bills that have come out with a do-not-pass recommendation that uh, that come out of that. And one was last year, and that was uh, crossover voting. And the other one are the other four this year. And so it's kind of just been in the last basically 24 months that we've had uh, those recommendations coming from the committees that uh, force a bill to the bottom of the list, which requires hearing and, you know, talking through and working through all the rest of legislation before it. So, How many other property tax bills did you, I don't, I don't want to say allow to get to the floor, but how many property tax bills were heard? Did you put high on the list so they could go through the house? Well, anything that had property tax was going to work on property taxes all got heard. The only one that didn't was that one that had the do not pass recommendation come from the Senate. Um, you know, uh, the property tax, some of those was the, the um, for veterans and for uh, the elderly, um, some of the breaks. I wish that we could have gotten the homestead exemption, you know, come out, but a lot of those bills that uh, that we're going to have some something to do that would have been able to make some tangible difference and could have been worked, uh, never made it out of the Revenue Committee. And so that was the big issue is that a lot of those bills, you know, died before they could actually get to the general file. Um, the one that did was the one that was kind of reworked that uh, then became the fourth class of tax, you know, that we're looking at as a constitutional amendment that we're going to put before the voters. And that did come, and that was reworked, and uh, that was actually started out, I believe, as a uh, as basically an exemption or a property tax break for folks. But then that that was reworked, and uh, uh, Representative Store was was integral in that, in uh, reworking that around to a fourth class of a determination. Another issue I wanted to get, get your thoughts on is this proposed Mormon church over in Cody. Now you're pretty active in your church. You're also a member. I try to be. <laughs> well, to your credit, um, I just, what are your thoughts on it? I mean, the, the Mormon Church, they have this proposed building with a pretty high steeple. It ran into some problems with their planning and zoning board. I just wanted to get your your thoughts on, on that whole situation, if you've thought about it. Well, I guess I hadn't really thought about it. I hadn't really put much thought into that, I guess. Um, to me, at first blush, I guess my thought is it's a local control issue. I mean, that's a that's a uh, that's a something that is there to be determined by the folks in that community. I mean, you know, I I, th- I think of it was kind of interesting. The first time I ever went to Hawaii with my wife, we got a, we went a trip years ago to go and stay at a place in Hawaii in Maui there, and I, I thought it was so interesting. As we lit, none of the buildings were higher than the palm trees. And I'm like, this is interesting. When you fly into here, you can't see any buildings hardly. You know, when we, I think, I can't remember. We flew into Maui there, uh, Kanapali or something like that. or I don't remember what it was. But it was just interesting to me. And I said, why do you guys not have any buildings? He said, well, we passed an ordinance. The locals passed an ordinance to say that no tree, no, excuse me, no building could be higher than a palm tree just to keep the aesthetic view or whatever and stuff like that. But that was a local control issue, and I would certainly think this is the same thing. This is something that has to be determined by the people that live there, what they want to do and how they want to have their community look, and I support their efforts to 
to do whatever they think is right for their own communities. Well, and I just finished a program this morning, and I, one of the one of the comments I made in it was, you know, if it has anything to do other than the the building codes, then it's really an issue with the Mormon Church. It's not about building codes, and uh, for me, it's just been a fascinating thing to watch, you know, because a lot of the arguments are uh, it it falls within the ordinances, and then the other side, no, it doesn't, because it's got a hundred and 101-foot steeple on it, so it's going to be... Wow, that's up in the air. That's going to have to have a red-white flashing light on the top of it. To yeah. The airplanes yeah, from so it. <laughs> it's been kind of fascinating. So you're on your you're on your way to the Select Water Committee. Yes, sir. Um, yeah, I'm headed to Cody. We've got a Select Water Committee, Joint Committee meeting with the State uh, Water Committee, and uh, we're trying to try to take care of some of these water issues and, and go through some of the issues we're facing as a state right now and, and the projects that need to be approved and some that need to be studied and... And things like that. So yes, State Water Committee, Cody, be there, come here and listen and give your input. So is there anything in specifics that you're that you guys are discussing or specifically uh, we're just looking at uh, you know the one fill rule that is going to be discussed about you know the ability to be able to retain or hold water or maybe potentially fill a reservoir twice and see what the legisl- what current statute says about that. Um, a lot of effort is trying to figure out how we can keep water working in the state of Wyoming. Um, making sure that we don't let any more water leave this headwater state than is absolutely required. And so we're working very diligently on that. Another thing we do, and as the responsibility of select water, is to oversee projects and to make sure that we are hopefully being uh, very uh, efficient in, in our spending of our, our hard-earned state dollars that people are taxed and taken from them and hopefully given to us to use wisely. Um, we're looking at some projects, trying to maybe you know mitigate some different situations and issues and stuff, and looking at those issues and seeing how we can work through those. But uh, primarily, just um, this is going to be our state tour too. That we're going to look at some different projects that have been completed in the Cody area and see how these funds are being spent and and the efficiency and and what we're getting for the benefit back to the state and its people. And so it should be a very productive meeting, and I look forward to to seeing and accomplishing much. Are there any personal bills that you're planning on um, introducing into this upcoming budget session? I do. Um, there are some bills here we're working on. I've got some actually some some uh, really good ideas from constituents that are uh, looking at some different things. I was working with one of my doctors there in Crook County. He's uh, wanting to put in a piece of legislation that would provide some protection to medical students from liability, that if they are there helping and working in a facility as they work and they train and they're trying to get their education, that, uh, and I didn't realize this, but evidently many times when there's a, a medical student that is there during a procedure or something like that, that, uh, you know, attorneys and things like that or different situations, they will try to attach to those young students' liability, and it is prohibiting or scaring some students off, evidently, and I'll get some more information on that, but I look forward to, to drafting and looking, working with with the medical community to to provide some protections for our young people so that they're more inclined to stay in and, and to go for the medical medical field. Um, that would be a good piece of legislation to see work for education and for our, our state and our young people. Um, I am, I'll, I'll just be honest with you, I'm looking at working with uh, LSO right now on a, a piece of legislation to, uh, to look at uh, school choice. Um, I, I just really believe, and I know there's a, it's a point of contention for a lot of folks. They really believe that there's a lot of issues out there that, that, uh, that I don't know, I don't know what the heartburn is about allowing parents to be able to, to choose where their children are educated. But I, I just really know that in my travels and the discussions I've had, a lot of folks in this state 
really support. And as we've watched other states go towards school choice, you know, you think there's multiple states, Iowa, Florida, um, Utah, uh, Montana's working on a lot of different ones. Um, More school or education opportunity and choice opportunity for parents is coming quickly. And I believe it is it is well on its way to Wyoming, and I, and I want to look at a piece of legislation, and I'm working with LSO right now to draft a piece of legislation that I'll present to the legislature to basically take this to the voters, just full transparency. Um, we're gonna, I'm going to bring a, probably a, a, a joint resolution to allow um, the changing in our Constitution and to allow the voters to decide if that's something that they truly want to do. And because uh, we've tried for a couple of years now in, in my short tenure in the in the legislature, and we've tried and failed multiple times, and our constitution is is very clear on the fact that you can't use uh, public dollars uh, to be you know spent individually or to get that to parents. But there's a lot of legislation out there, and there's been some case law now that has demonstrated that that is there, and that you can allow parents to have that money and reimburse or however they want to look at it, but. To me, I think to just try to solve all the questions and to make it clear is just to put it to a vote of the people and let the folks uh, decide if they believe it is um, important to them to be able to invest those dollars how they see fit and educate their children how they see fit, that uh, they should not be denied that right to be able to do that. And so that's, that's another piece of legislation among others we're just working on trying to get put together. Well, the Education Committee just finished uh, a meeting last week. And I, I was astounded at how, how they just seem opposed to allowing parents to make decisions on behalf of their, their child. And it just seems, that, seems like when you, when you say the words, you know, parental control or parental rights, people's hair lights on fire. And it, it just looked to me like that entire committee just didn't want, didn't want to give parents any more control than they already have. My view is that parents are the final say in anything that happens to their child. They are ultimately responsible for the rearing and the raising of their child. The school has been has been allowed the opportunity, whichever school they allow their children to attend, to support the parents and in the education of their children. I think sometimes we lose sight of the fact that I've even had, I had one constituent here just recently say, you know, I was told by a, a superintendent several years ago that said, when that kid enters my building, he's mine. And I'll say what happens to him, and I'll take care of him when he's here. And that parent said, that's the one time that I have just come unglued. It's like, no, I'm allowing you to have the, the opportunity to be able to, to work in the life of my child. This is not abdicating my responsibility or my role as a parent that when I turn them loose at your facility that they're suddenly no longer mine or my responsibility. Ultimately, the parent is responsible for that child. That's just a fact. Yeah, I mean, the I watched that entire education meeting, and the one question that that kept going through my head. I mean, there was a lot of people that testified. They were like, "Well, no, you know, when this child enters the school, the school is responsible for him." And my question: You're was, responsible to keep them safe, and you're responsible to educate them as far as reading, writing, arithmetic, the basic fundamental things that they need to be able to be a per- strong and productive adult. But beyond that, what, what was the next statement, I guess? Well, my, my question is always, well, yeah, but you can't give a kid an aspirin without their parents' permission. Correct. You know, so if, if that's true, then everything you said about you know, the school being in charge of their education and parents having very little say, that's all bull. 
I mean, because parents do have the ultimate say in their kids' education. Parental rights are foundational to making this thing work. Parents have to be respected for their role in the authority of that child. If that child does something, that child is not liable. The parents are liable as long as they're under age. When they become of age, then that child is fully responsible for their actions. Until then, anything that child does is going to be, have to be taken care of by the parent. The costs incurred, all those things, that's, that's the right. So you can't have both. You can't expect them to pay all the bills, but you can't expect them to have anything to say about what they're exposed to or what they're done, what, what they do, and, and the responsibility level that they are required to, to carry. And so no parental rights are just fundamental rights, I believe, that as uh, they're responsible for the care and and keep of that child, um, nobody should come in there and say, well, you know what, we're going to take it from here, you know, and we'll let you know if we need you. That's not how that works. Parents' education needs to be um, a very intricately involved support for the parents, not the other way around, that the parents are there to support that. Um, I think I think we're I think we're getting it turned around because I think a lot of times you know that we are starting to say well we know better, and when whenever you have a position and you make the statement or you start start to make a parent feel like you know just we'll let you know if we need you. Wow, that's not that's not where you need to be as a parent. Um, you know, parent teacher conferences and PTAs, parent teacher associations. I remember as growing up, those were. Those were groups that were put together and leaderships and committees that were put together to be able to create a good alliance between parents and their responsibility and their roles in the education of their children and how the teachers could supplement, you know, support and supplement that and make sure that the kids had a well-rounded education that was, that was jointly uh, supported by parents and the teachers teachers helping parents, and parents doing a good job of helping the teachers to be effective by bringing kids that are responsible, respectful, and uh, are being held accountable. I have one more question, and I've asked, I've asked this of several different people, and I've been getting, been getting conflicting answers. And so, you know, I just thought since I have you, I'll, I'll ask you too. There are 26 conservatives in the House. There are 31 other Republicans that vote an average of 80% of the time with the five Democrats. 30, 31 plus five is 36. So my question, Chip, is uh, how did 26 people prevent 36 from doing anything? Well, your math would say that that's impossible. So I, I would say that that's probably the truth. I mean, it's just the reality of it is, I mean, for example, I mean, let, let's, let's just use a, a really good example here. The legislation that was the, the what they're saying now, and they're hopefully they were talking about it in the education committee meeting the other day. We tried to override those those that that bunch of conservatives, quote unquote conservatives, tried to override and uh, to bring a piece of legislation out that had passed the Senate, and that was the to restrict the exposure of K through third graders to gender ideology or any kind of you know um, sexual orientation training. And this is for kids, that kindergartners, kindergartners through, through eighth grade, eight, eight, eight year olds, okay, eight year olds. Excuse me, not eighth graders, third graders, mind you. We could not muster enough votes to even bring that out to have it considered on the floor. What with your twenty? Well, I mean that you did. The numbers are simply not there, and so 
if that's any indication of what the, the conservatives could or couldn't do for something that I know, and I think people around the state know well, was an important issue to it for a lot of people about let's just let those little kids be little kids and not and push that on them or, or expose them to that. We couldn't even get that out of the speaker's drawer. So to tell me that we had some ability to be able to um, stop or to force anything, to me, that's a perfect example of something that I believe. And correct me if I'm wrong, David, and I'd be glad to hear from anybody that says, but I believe, and from the people that tell me uh, it was important, that was an important piece of legislation that people really wanted to see passed in Wyoming just to just to prevent those little people from having to deal with that when you're worried about toads and, and just, you know, just playing with your friends and stuff like that because you don't worry about those kind of things at that point. We couldn't get that out of the drawer. So if we couldn't get that out of the drawer, then explain to me how we could stop or push anything else because to me, that's one of the best examples of what we have the capacity to do. Well, like I say, I mean, it's uh, there's this narrative going around that you know somehow the Freedom Caucus stopped the other group of folks from doing doing property tax relief or or anything. And the truth is that 26 people is less than 36. Well, Chip. I've taken up enough of your time. I appreciate you coming back on the program, and you're welcome here anytime. Anytime, David. I thank you for the opportunity and look forward to talking with you again somebody down the road. That'll do it for today's installment of the program. Have a good rest of your week, and we'll talk again tomorrow during the Thursday live episode, which begins at 10 a.m. But for now, from the Cowboy State Politics Northern Command Studio in Sheridan, Wyoming, I'm David Iverson, and this is the one and only Cowboy State Politics.